Hello. We are glad you found us. Please sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to When Life Attacks. ball is ticked, and there you are, you're running for your life, you're a shooting star, and all the years, no one knows just how hard you worked, but now it shows, in one shining moment, it's all on the line, in one shining you're listening to this an hour earlier with Daylight Savings Time popping us ahead. I am James Hamilton. and Welcome back to the show, lifers. I am once again without Mr. Travis McFalls. He has uh, been on a ferocious streak of bad luck lately, and uh, I won't go into it, but our uh, sympathies go out to his family. He will probably be gone until, say, mid-April. I'm, we discussed it today, and it just doesn't seem likely that we're going to see him for about a month. He also has a family wedding that's going to take him out of town and a few other things. So I said, you know what? I will hold down the ship. You go do your thing. However, it has opened up a little time for a new guest. I am with CJ LaCourse. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's my first podcast. I'm excited. CJ and I are longtime friends going on, geez. I, th- I think 1991. That's a long time. It is. I think when you think about it, I think it was, I think it was freshman, halfway or so through freshman year of high school. Yeah. A great time for a tall, fat, gangly kid, pair of kids. <laughs> you were taller than me, luckily. We were both fat. Uh, yeah, we were yeah. both fat. You were now you're skinnier thicker. though. I'm trying. I'm trying. Thank you. See, I'm trying to get still skinnier. shorter, but then, you know, yeah. However, you're shorter. We were just talking about this because CJ Gravity. was six five almost without six, shoes, six. and uh, now you're six foot four and a quarter ish. Was that because of knees or have you had knee replacements? Or I didn't have re- no, I had a knee, I had a, I had a knee scoped. I, had a, I got very lucky out of, out of football injuries with one minor knee injury. Does that the surgery? Yeah. Does do, does scoping reduce height? I don't think so. I think it's all just I'm old and gravity is taking its toll. Hmm. Well, you have had kind of a you know for for a young man, which you are still old. a young man. You've had a little bit different path through life than a lot of people have. You, probably. You got nothing, nothing like exotic or anything, but yeah. Well, you give you had a football scholarship leaving college. Mm-hmm. A full ride. Not full, not full, not I had full. full. I had full tuition and fees, which I was very grateful to have. But that was, a, that was I played for a Division two school, Minnesota Duluth. And I think at the time they had like 27 or 20, whatever, maybe, maybe even less, full rides to divvy up. And normally what it was was everyone had full tuition and fees once they got to a certain point. So that's what I had. So you had tuition and fees and you covered your room and board. Yeah. And from there you went on to 
start a new company that we're going to talk about and why we're going to talk about that company. For those of you trying to figure out, hmm, do I want to listen to this podcast? Uh, you are going to let people know how to either get a little bit better job or how to get a job. Some, some, some of our listeners might not, contrary to many of the statistics, are not working and would like to be. And there's other people that are working and don't like where they're working or feel like they could get more. And so CJ is going to let us in on a couple of, because uh, that's what you do. That that's is what your that, company that does. is what, what, what I do. Which I, I have many questions about that. That's Good. <laughs> lifers that, you know, are regulars on the show know I've just got way too many questions, but they're there. That makes sense. You're a question person. <clears throat> so the tournament, are you going to play in, are you going to buy a bracket? Will there only be one? I will. I will. You know what? Last year was the first time, and I want to say that the, the March Madness is by far and away my favorite sporting event of the year, first of all. And last year was the first time I didn't do a single bracket intentionally because I can't even, I can't root for my own bracket. It's impossible. If it, if it is an upset of any kind, even, even a seven ten, I have to root for that upset. It's my favorite thing in the world to see. The bigger teams to lose to the smaller teams. And I'm not rooting against the bigger teams. I just, I love the, 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 the pageantry of the tournament. I love to see the one and done. I, I do think it's the best sporting event of the year. Well, all the big ones, international Olympics. And I'm a huge Olympics fan too. But I love, I love March Madness. I always have. Did you like the Winter Olympics? Loved them. Did you? I did. Okay. I, I cred my, 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 you know, my coach's kid. I'm, I'm a, offensive lineman in college and my coach, my, he always think, oh, the football coach, dad. No, he was a distance running coach and a pole vault coach. So I've been exposed to about every sport there is. And that man loved himself some winter sports. Warren LaCourse was a cool guy. <clears throat> Fortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. Young, in beautiful yeah. shape. Yep. The guy was a, you wouldn't, if you had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Warren LaCourse, you would see that uh, he had the body of like a 27-year-old in amazing shape. As a 20-something-year-old, <laughs> I'm going to go finger quotes in the air on, on, on the podcast here, trained athlete, people would see my dad and wouldn't, wouldn't no, no, that's not your dad. You're fat and fat. He's tall, too. Yeah, he wasn't he's, very tall. He's like five foot eight, and he looks like he could beat up every one of us and run 20 miles afterwards. That's not your, They would never believe it was my dad. He was in incredible shape. Mm-hmm. I, I know that even my own father would be, you know, there was, a, there was something that Warren took away <laughs> from him because he would walk up and you're just like, Jesus, you know, do you, do you just run everywhere? You're in amazing shape. Well, we, and we just had the Super Bowl in town. Um, one of the big parts for people who aren't from Minnesota, they brought everything out and they have the whole big outdoor because we're crazy in Minnesota and it's negative degrees and we're going to have all of our events outdoors. So they brought the bridge from the Berkey Binder Ski Race, which is over at Hallmark, Wisconsin. And it's this huge 56K ski race that they hold every year that there's enough snow. My dad ended up doing, I think, 31 full Berkeys and like 33 overall in the years when they didn't have the snow to run the full course. So it was cool to see some of those things come through. But that's the kind of guy he was. That was his hobby, was to do these impossible races. He's he's not giving it enough credit. It's not just skiing. It's cross-country skiing. Yeah, cross-country skiing. (laughs) Like when you find a hill to go down on your skis, it's just a a nice tiny break because most of it's just trudging uphill. He used to train for it by bringing us to ski club. There's a chaperone from where my brother and I would go to ski club at Buck Hill, you know, where Lindsey Vaughn trained. It could, it could sound like a bigger hill than it is. But he would bring his cross-country skis, and he would ski up the hills and then ski down. He was a madman. He was. He was, he was, he was insane for yeah. that type, that, that kind of stuff. You guys had put out some of his workout books. He had these 
very, I mean, it was very serial killer. You know, those black and white kind of blotchy <laughs> journals. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I always forget about the those. Tiniest goddamn print. His dad would have those, and he had like how many miles he swam that day, how long he jogged, did he run, did he bike, did he how many push ups? Yeah, it was everything he did. The home, the the, the weights in the basement, and everything. Yeah. It, it teetered on upsetting. Oh, it was yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. How's the man find the time? And I got part of that work ethic and how I work out from him and all of his dietary choices, which were not good. So how, did he, how was me. he in such great? Well, obviously with the books and the working out. Was working out. The Warney Bowl was a candy bowl. Oh, yeah. The Warney Bowl. To in his house. Oh, yeah. We, have, we still have that. It was, I was full of fun sized candy bars. No, it's just a little... And we would all, he and my brother, and all, we would all take, you know, five, six candy bars at a time. Then he'd go run 12 miles, and I'd sit there and grab 12 more candy bars. Right. God, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. But Amen. he is a big reason why you ended up a successful college athlete, because you understood it from a lot of different angles. He told me, uh, I knew where I was going, I knew I'd chosen to go to Duluth, and he, he knew, he didn't, he, he never pushed me to any sport, and uh, talked to me about it later in life. That that was intentional. He didn't want, you know, he was a coach and, you know, he, he was big into sports and big into He wanted me to have the choice of what to do. And he was happy I chose. He would always watch. He was very supportive of it. And he was happy when I chose Duluth because of the coach up there, Jim Malosky, who you could do probably a five-hour podcast on how different of a character that guy was. And, and, and I loved playing for him. He was so happy that I went there. And the best piece of advice he gave me before I went to play was, CJ, my dad didn't swear much. You're going to get your ass kicked a lot. And it's the best thing that can happen. Get up, be quiet, learn, go. Because about halfway through that, a first year or so, you'll start playing well. And then you're going to be good. And he kept driving that home for me. And it ended up playing out about, I didn't start right away. I didn't even start the second year. But I played. And it didn't, and that's uh, I got that work ethic from him. Go to like a regular old high school game, and he <clears throat> would have, would watch it just differently. What he, he was looking for was different. He would, and I, I take a lot of that from him. He would coach differently too. You know, in this day of everyone trying to mimic Bobby Knight, and I have a lot of opinions on that. I don't think you can be a hard ass coach because I had one of the hardest ass coaches you can have. Yeah, you can't do that unless it's your personality. Because my coach was nice to everyone the minute practice was over, the minute the game was over. But during practice, during the game, you did not want to screw up around him. My dad coached the extreme, the, the exact opposite way. He was positive about everything. He would run around and he would mostly on the cross country side or in track. And when I'd see him coach, it was harder to watch him in track because you're far away across when you're sitting in the stands. But I'd follow him and I'd watch him. He'd go from point to point in every racetrack and he'd coach everyone and he'd be positive to everyone and he'd cheer on everyone, every team, every person. Didn't know who they were, but he was cheering them on and with his kids too. And you could see it in the teams that he coached and how those kids reacted to everyone else in different situations. And there's more people that should coach that way, but they read a book about whatever coaching theory and they try and be a hard ass when it's really not what they are. And everyone else is yelling at some of these kids or these athletes when you get into a little further on down the line after school that they just don't listen. They're so used to people yelling that they, 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 they block it out and it does, it's not there. You know, you shouldn't be yelling at people that, that are playing a sport until it gets to actually matter. You know, no matter what they say, it really doesn't matter if you win. At, at most levels, you know, varsity at high school is probably about the first level where wins start to matter because you don't know what you're doing until then anyway. He was very <clears throat> good at looking at 90 kids and realizing maybe one or two of these kids is talented enough to win the meet or, mm-hmm. or, or. But he'd coach every single one of them the same way. 
and make That's them enjoy the run. If and you I were can go on finish, and on. Oh, yeah. you, If you it were going to finish last, he would allow you the privilege yeah. of enjoying competing and finishing last. It's hard enough to do what you're doing, much less to compete in it. You might as well smile while you're doing it. I thought that that was Take one it of the seriously, coolest. but smile. Yeah, he always it. took it serious, but he yeah. always provided the person that was playing for him or that he was coaching or, or, or even... Because I found he was rooting for a lot of people that were competing against him. Yes. And he allowed you the privilege of enjoying it while he t- taught you what he was he doing. Had, and it was cool. My, a couple of people that I know, and, I, and my mom and I also talked about this too, and we watch a sport and you start to get... Uh, and I look at it, I, I have my own perspective on how I watch a sport, whether it be a professional sport, a college sport, or whatever I'm watching. And people say, oh, what are they doing? They're choking the game while they're doing this. And my dad would always stop to remind you, hey, the other team's trying too. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, sports aren't played on paper. It's part of life. The things that you can learn, almost the you know, whole topic can go on and on and on about that. That's learn from the loss. Enjoy the loss. Don't just, don't just worry about if they win, it's the only thing that can be good. And if it goes, the, the bigger part about what, what, what he did, you know, one part of what he did, he was also a teacher. He was, you know, he was also a parent. He was also the things that he had, but he put that type of perspective into everything that he did. Now, when did he stop doing the triathlons and biathlons and stuff? He didn't. He had a stroke. A l- I don't know. The time, I, I have the time frames if I really think about it, but he had a stroke probably a little less than a year before he passed away, and it was in October. And about three, three and a half weeks later, he ran a, he ran a 5K with my brother and I on Thanksgiving morning. I remember the 5K. After a massive yep. stroke. I remember that. Like, we thought that was going to take him. And he was having it. So he got it. He got a cell phone they would always carry with. They could, they could, like, well, just get the cell phone that can track me. <laughs> he got the GPS cell phone finally instead of the flip big button, like jitterbug phone that he had. So if, if it would happen again, he'd still be able to do the things that he loved to do. He was crazy. <laughs> in a good, in, in one of the best ways. Yeah. And how many miles was it from their house to your brother's house? Oh, uh, well, well, um, Basically, Mystic Lake, two farms south of Mystic Lake on Most Spring Lake. Are know to, yeah, okay, okay. So, to for, for the non-Minnesota, yeah, thanks for the reminder. We're, okay. we're, this, is, this isn't radio. Yeah. Oh, yay. Uh, call it 40. Is it? 35, 40 miles, somewhere in there. Might be, might be, might be, oh. might be 30, 35. We yeah. were, we were going to hop in the car, and this was, <laughs> I drove at the time, but we were all getting in the car because there was something going on at CJ's brother's house. And I was constantly looking at the number because CJ and I are big dudes, right? And then there's his mom and there was his uh, brother's wife. And if his dad was coming, it was going to be a tight fit. But the whole time we're getting towards the car, dad's not coming. And he just grabs his bike. Yeah. I'll meet you there. He would bike to me. He would, sometimes he would do like if, if, if one of us won the science fair, we'd get to go and go to Mankato. To do it, so we'd drive and we'd get a hotel room and we get to do the two day science fair in Mankato. And Dad would bike and meet us there. He really wasn't that far behind us. <laughs> he, he, he timed it out when he left. Because like we'd arrive there and it really wasn't that long and he'd yeah. arrive and uh, it made me question what, that is what a lot did. of things about life. And that was normal to us to just see that. That's just that's what he did. He never made a show about it. He just did it. It's incredible. Hmm. My dad would never fucking do that ever. I'll go on like a three to a five mile run now, and I feel like I'm conquering the world. God, I want to mimic that I do that, but I don't. I'm a walker. I walk a lot. 
I got the run. I go on the trails and I run. I got it from him. If I, if I'm there on my treadmill, I'll run because it's a little more forgiving. There's a little more balance to it. But on the, the streets, my shoes just, uh, I'm, I'm a wussy, really. Do it until you can't because if you stop, you won't be able to. Three miles is not a daily thing for me. It was a warm up for him. Yeah, I know. He was a machine. <laughs> yep. A machine. But he taught you a lot about being an athlete in college and and um, how to approach sports. And I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of them recognize, because I'm bringing this up because we're going into the NCAA tournament. In college basketball, before you can go to the NBA, you must play one year. One in full college. year. One full you must you must beat weight one full year after high school. There's nothing that says that you have to play. Right. You don't have to go to college. There's some people who have gone play. there's some people who have gone to Europe to play. There's some people who have just stayed who have talked about I think the recent trend is someone's gonna start is one of the players that was really good was gonna just spend the year training and then enter the draft. And that doesn't typically work out for them. They that they're good. That, yeah, but but some people, hits. some people who have gone to Europe and played professionally for a year have done really well. One of my friends, I wish I would. There's a Milwaukee Bucks guard. I know they did really well doing that. So there have been some, but yes, you have to wait one year. So how do you feel? Because obviously the NCAA is reaping the majority of those benefits. Mm-hmm. So if there are 50 top high school prospects which is, would be generous, but let's just say there's 50 top prospects that could potentially go to the NBA. 40 of them will go to the NCAA or better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about the NCAA having played for the NCAA? I, I think it's a great thing to have, to have college athletics. I think a lot of the schools, and even if you don't like sports, there are things that sports allow bigger universities to do that they couldn't do without those sports because of the funding that comes in. It's just, that's, it just is. So they do some very good things, whether you like sports or not. With the NCAA, you know, it offers people, there's a way to get an education if you really want one that you couldn't, that couldn't be afforded to them before that. But having said that, I think one of the ways you have to look at the way they're allowed to limit people's choices are, would you be okay with whatever entity it is? an employer, the government, whatever it may be, telling you, well, you know, generally you, yeah, you can't do that until you're you know, 35. You can't, you, can't, you can't get this job out of high school. You can't do that. You, 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 you know, you're ready to publish this, this book. You're ready to release this app that will bring you quite a bit of financial gain. You can't. We do that with president, though, right? You have to be over well, you to, you, you can do. President. You can run for other political offices. You can run for other things. You do have to be 35. You have to be a natural-born citizen. There's things that you have to be. Right. But, you can't, but, it, does, but it, doesn't, it just says you can't be president until. It doesn't say you can't and that you can't do other things to prepare you for that. It says, it says you, have, you have to wait for that limit. Now, you have everywhere else in our in our society where we're saying we're a capitalist economy and the best thing you can do is you have a limited time to make as much money as you can if you have a chance to do it make it mm-hmm. and everything else and and all, and all types of things if you're writing if you're writing a software if you're a really good programmer if you invent facebook you don't have to finish college you know there, there aren't and there's not that's a bad thing you know they, they got something they got they got what they needed you know, the Zuckerbergs of the world, all of these things, people that we don't even know they're inventing things that we use in technology all the time. Some of them have been pretty young 
and they've skipped college. They've started a, a company. They've done these things. And they've made their money because they had that, that idea. They had that talent at that time that someone else didn't have, and they capitalized on it. And these athletes have the same thing. They have a skill, a, li- a limited skill, and not meaning limited that it doesn't matter, just that they won't have it for more than <laughs> a decade or two. The body breaks down, everything, you know, you can't, there's no 40-year-old rookies. You know, they made the movie The Rookie for a reason, because it just doesn't happen that often that someone can first break in. So they have this limited time to make that money off of the skill that they have. So if they, you know, they should be allowed to. How did they impact you as you were in college? What was their involvement? Not too much because of the level. I mean, I played small time Division Two for a school now that has won Division Two national titles, go Bulldogs. But <laughs> it was, that was a good, healthy decade before, uh, <laughs> after I was done playing and all the people that I played with were there. But, you know... It, it it was it was it was an experience I wouldn't give back. I, I loved that I did. I mean, I got hurt. Luckily, not too much, but I would I would definitely do it again. It uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting that I've I've thought since I've had my my, my only child as a daughter that I, I've thought, wow, I don't know what I would say if I had a son. Would I let them play football? I wouldn't keep them away from it, but I don't know how I would feel because of some of the head injuries and things. Because I know I had head injuries, but again, I got away lucky. And how the NCAA affected me. I wasn't really good enough to notice it. So when you first, so let's, so they offer you this scholarship, mm-hmm. which was and I went in with just a little bit of. I mean, they gave me, hey, here you go, here's a couple hundred bucks. Blah blah blah. See how you go. You know, this is how we do it. You know, we break up our scholarships. We don't tend to give full rides. We do get to the point where we give you full tuition and fees. And after the first quarter, we'll reevaluate it. Then usually after that, end of the first year, after you see a spring ball, we'll reevaluate it and we'll try and get you up there as fast as we can. Well, I got my, my coaches at spring ball told me next year you're on full tuition and fees, which, which was, awesome. huge, which was great. I mean, a family with two teachers and, and things like that, you know, it's not the most expensive college in the world, but college is still a pretty expensive thing. So Are it helps guys, out. And I felt like it, it was, it was a good accomplishment. Were they drug testing a lot? I got drug tested three times in college. Two of them were when I was a backup offensive lineman bench player for a team that had won like seven games the year before. Mm-hmm. And they drug tested us. Right. Which and you found comical. I thought it was, all right, I got to get up early again, huh? <laughs> hey, free orange juice. That's really what it was. Because you go down there, you don't pee, and you go down, and they give you an orange juice, and you you get to lift your shirt up to your armpits and take your pants out. You spin around in a circle so they can tell you're not faking anything. You got to pee in front of somebody. Awkward. It, it really was. <laughs> And they tell you, it would be like the night before they call, because we call them, they have meetings and you learn about something. It's never, you'd have a meeting called. But you, they'd call a meeting, like, all right, drug testing, blip, blip, blip. They'd read off the names, 30 or 40 people would have to go and you get pulled. What about um, terms of money? The NCAA collects a lot of money. Where does that money go? To the NCAA. <laughs> But like they made one point one billion dollars or something this last year. Looking like who runs the bowl? Like, like each city that runs a bowl game, somebody's employed to run the bowl game. That's all they do. That's their their job, their full time job every year. They run the bowl and they get hundreds of thousands of dollars. And these kids who play on the team can't get a a, a couple of bucks to go to McDonald's. Should you guys be paid? I, I, I believe that athletes should be paid. I don't think it's I, it's hard to say that just they should be paid what they bring in. 
But if you really look at it as, as, as this is a capitalist economy, then they should be paid what they brought in. And then they should that, that each team. They look, I think the studies are like Duke basketball and Texas football are the two most profitable teams in the country. I would prefer to see it, you know, schools that have their athletic department to, to disperse that to all the athletes. To all the athletes, so not I think just so. the football program or basketball it, program. It's as as it is an athletic department as a whole. No matter what people want to say, yeah, other some teams get more ratings than others, but as a whole, the the teams that have more a more healthy all around athletic program tend to have those really high dollar successful teams. You know, it, it, it's it's not it's usually not 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 it's it's not just a coincidence. So, what would a school like say University of Minnesota do? When the pole vaulter's making five grand a year over at Duke, and I don't know that that they should have that. That it should all be even. And you know, if if you want to be, if you want to, it's it, 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 the the bottom line about sports at that level are about winning and losing, and it's not just on the field. It's recruiting. It's it's the training facilities. It's it's the dollars you get from your boosters that can build you a better weight room. Because all of those things help make your team better over the long haul, not just over one lucky five year period. You're not just, you know, you're not just the Oregon Ducks winning a football game. Sorry, Oregon fans. Yeah, Alabama. Sure. There's a difference. Thank you. And I'm going to root. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, they yeah. do. But they're not Alabama. Not not this last decade not this or so. Not this yeah. 20 years. <laughs> Has it been 20 years? Well, I mean, it's, it, it hasn't been 20 years. It's been, Saban's been at like 19 different schools. Yeah. I don't say pro I teams. Like I don't been, say pro teams because we know his record with the pros. About 2007, 2008, Somewhere about 10 years. Somewhere there, really after, after, after he back. walked away because Miami was too hard to coach for. So are you a fan of the NCAA or you're not? I hate the NCAA. Okay. Because it sounds like it wants, like the, it it wants to do so many good things. Well, it does serve a purpose, but it doesn't do it well. All right. So if I have a... Let's, if you've got a kid that right. gets drafted by Major League Baseball, they can go and make $200,000 a year to play summer league baseball and then still play college football. If you have a kid, and this has happened, a wide receiver from Colorado who is good enough to represent your country in the Olympics but also plays Division I football, that person cannot take a single dollar to help them train for the Olympics. Yeah, I've never but really understood that. this person can do it. I don't understand the amateur status thing. Well, they, 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 the amateur athletics was never a thing until... And, and you look into some of the histories. I wish I had all the dates in, but it was over in, mostly in England where the rich people wanted to be good, so they were amateurs because the professionals were the ones that were good. They were the good. They were guys coming up who didn't have anything, and the only way to make money was to be really good, so they were good at a sport. They beat the crap out of the rich people. And so like, they had am- I'm an amateur. So they had amateur tournaments. Right. Student athlete didn't exist until people started dying playing sports. They were looked at as employees of the school, and if an employee of the school died, you owed them death benefits. But if they were a student athlete, you didn't owe them death benefits. When you're really good at sports, do the schools find you, or do you still have to sell yourself to the schools? A little bit, six of one, half a dozen of the other. I think it's more. I think it's more towards they'll find you. I don't, it's they, if if you're good enough, you may not start for Alabama, but you're going to get a scholarship somewhere. How, our school was pretty small by just mm-hmm. about every metric. How did they find you? They, I, you know, I, I wish I knew. I, do, I honestly don't know. You don't know. Okay, no, so I got recruited, and I got I, the biggest school that recruited me would have been NDSU. Okay, I was not looked at by any Division One schools. A lot of Division Three schools, and, and quite a few pretty good Division Two schools. I always loved Duluth when they. I you know I was leaning towards NDSU, and then a coach from Duluth called. 
Well, it was fascinating from my vantage point because I, I had a unique perspective of you at that period of time that you, of course, wouldn't have had of yourself. And the difference in your physique and composition compared to your classmates it was unparalleled. You were a guy who could put up 300 pounds or more without a ton of effort. I remember sitting in weight class, and they loaded the, pole, the, the, the bench press up for you. And, and I thought that the, that the teacher had just kind of forgotten he was loading the bar because he was talking <laughs> to us. I'm like, oh, my God. Poor Mr. CJ. McCord. Yeah, poor CJ. And, like, it wasn't... It it actually upset me. It was probably more like two thirty five, two forty at no, the no, time. No, 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 because I benched two twenty five at the time, no problem. And you, they loaded that bar. And up, the odd, the odd, shocked. The, the odd part of that is with all the shoulder injuries I had, my bench probably was lower in college than it was in high school. It was, it, it just, it was, it was such a stark difference. It wasn't just that. You mean you were tall, you were agile, you were fast. That's 12 candy bars a night. That's I remember uh, one. Uh, now, I had no experience wrestling. I have never wrestled in my life. And you just laid on the ground. I know what you're going to. I know the story you're telling. You're going to leave important detail out of it. And I'm going to tell you what detail it is after if you don't get. I think I know. That's, what you're that's, that's fine. I just know that I was completely ineffective. I also had a broken leg at the time. <laughs> and I, I was in the middle of rehabbing a, a broken fibula. And there was you're just a massive person. And there, there was nothing. I felt like. Outside of violence, there was nothing I was going to do that was going to be effective. And you really didn't, the weight difference wasn't too much at the time. I think I weighed about 310, 320. No, I weighed between, when I was a, when I was a senior, I weighed about 255. If it was senior, senior year, I was about 275. Every other year, I was like, two, I remember, I remember um, the tactic about just not make me sound out that's a great athlete. I didn't play football until my freshman year. And when we played, my first year, we went there, and I come from the smaller private school. My mom taught. Not like fancy, oh, private school, good for him. My mom taught at St. Michael's in town. We both went to the same high school. And I played, we didn't have football there. So I played my freshman year, and we had the whole, you know, the testing, and you know, the, the run, you run the 40 or whatever, and the mile. Oh, God, that mile scared the hell out of me. I barely made it through it. But then you weigh in. And they announce your weight because football, you're big. And this is to show how far away we were when now everybody's 300 pounds. I was 275 as a senior, and that was huge for this state. Well, they, they yelled everyone's weight out, and I, I weighed in. And I was like, wait, I don't know what I weigh, so they're not telling me what's going on. And the coach actually wrote the number down in a piece of paper and slid it over to me because it was like 263 as a freshman, which was just like, oh, kid, you're going to die. <laughs> and I'll always remember that. I'm like, why are you doing this? Oh, my God, they're saving me the embarrassment of saying what my fat butt weighs. It was weird, though. It was sort of like uh, I tell the story sometimes, too. I play baseball, and I was not good. It was, I wasn't. I started playing baseball I can late. confidently say you were thousands of percentage better than me. I was terrible at baseball. I was just bad. I, I later found out that astigmatism had a big big reason why I was bad. I had what undiagnosed astigmatism, so mm-hmm. I had poor depth perception. But anyway, I was... I still would have been shitty, let's be Same honest. Same as Kirby Puckett. Yeah, well. <laughs> Just that if it wasn't for the eyes. Uh, and uh, I saw a guy that was good, that was going to be Division Two, not Division One, but he was Division Two. Mm-hmm. 
swing a baseball bat. There's not a big difference. That's the thing. People see that this from the pros to college. I mean, well, the pros are obviously pros. But when you get into the colleges, there's not that big of a difference. Once you get on the field and you play a few plays, you understand there's a difference because we always play the one double A. What was one double A is now FCS. And we played Montana the year they lost to Brandy Moss's Marshall School 56 to 6 in a four hour game. Mm. Oh, they beat us up. But you were, I mean, we were just as big, could hit with them a little bit. They just, they were just that much, a little bit better where as the game went on, that that speed, that size, just a little bit makes a huge difference. So, and, and it translates onto every sport. People who run D1 track are very fast, but compared to, compared to D2. But it's really not that much. Because there's not that much that goes into being top. elite. Yeah, at the it's top. It's a small difference that comes into it. When you're an average high school player and you see somebody who's going to go somewhere in the sport, everything they do is different than you. Oh, the yeah. way the ball sounds when they throw it. The, I mean, the bat cut through the air. He, he wasn't swinging it. He wasn't swinging the bat. He was making lightning happen. Mm-hmm. And it was very similar with you in football. I, look, I, I got I got two college and I'd look around. I mean, I, as a senior in college, I'd look around my locker room and, and look around. I'd, I'd, I'd see everything. Oh, I'm going to get killed today. These are my teammates. Look how big these guys are. What's going to happen? And I'd see pictures of myself with these same teammates, and I was like twice the size of them. The violence that you could create in a single movement. I mean, watching from the stands, those poor kids that would line <laughs> up against you, and they were just, they weren't going nowhere. How many sacks did you give up in high school? Oh, a few. I don't know how many. We ran the ball more, not so, so. So I gave up. In college, I can tell you, I probably gave up about five or six, and they and they still eat me alive. Five or six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Never called for holding once in my years of playing football ever. You were a guard, right? I was. Well, I played guard and tackle in in high school. I played tackle mostly in college. I will say, after saying I never got called for holding, I held on eighty-seven percent of every play. Of all, of all the plays. Oh, just because everybody does. Yeah. It's Every other penalty you can get, I got. Right. It was a stark, di- it was a crazy difference. Mm-hmm. And until you see it up close, you don't really, you know, you're with those guys on Sunday and they're like, oh, I could have thrown that. I could have made that pass. No, you couldn't. No. No, <laughs> you couldn't. Mm-mm. It's incredible. Yeah, when someone would have hit you so hard, you would have just, that's it. I'm done for a month. Yeah. The speed they throw the ball, the accuracy, we're not even in the conversation. Mm-mm. When an NBA player's relaxed and just shooting hoops, he doesn't miss. No. It's just pop, 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 pop. Everybody. Like, it's no problem. Mm-mm. Maybe, no, not Cole Aldrich, but yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's another level. <clears throat> anyway, let's Sorry, Cole we, we, got, we got way off topic. All right, back to the, back to the script. <laughs> so we were talking about the brackets, and actually what I wanted you to talk about was uh, you have a different way of doing or you, you had a group of friends would do the bracket way different. We, and we've done it. I wasn't in it last year. It's, uh, it's a bracket draft. And it's, you get like 100 and something points in each team you know, is, is a draft. And it's held. So whoever get, picks the most wins, wins half the pot. And whoever picks the, the champion wins half the pot. And it's done so if you, if you take a number one seed, you can't afford another number one. So everything's so got a denomination. Yes. So what's a number one cost? Do you remember? It was like 68, I think. Okay. And then it wasn't quite 50. For, for, it wasn't even 50 for a two. Because if you got a two, you could get a three. But you couldn't get them in, 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 of, of seeds. Right. Of seeds. And so if you want to go for the wins, you want to stack lower seeds. But you can get the, the top seeds. And it, it works out every once in a while, there'd be a year where the number one seed wasn't bought. One of the number one seeds. If there's like, a, ah, they shouldn't be a one. So no one would take them. But it works out where if all four number ones go, every team will be gone and everyone will have zero points at the end of the draft. 
Okay. So and how it's, many it's a creative participate? way. It was 10 teams. Okay. The way, so you could probably break it out differently with different points. The way we did it was always 10 teams and some teams had multiple owners. But a team had 100 points. It was, I think so. I'd have to look it up. It's 100 so points, a like 68. Points, yeah. And there's 68 teams. Well, there's 64. We draft, we would always draft 64 the teams. 64. Right. We would never draft the plans. But if you have a, th- okay. So it was all worked out. And then some people were playing for the win pot and other people were winning for the champion pot. And then there's the years where a three seed wins. And usually that year somebody get both. Because you probably have the most wins because you spent it on a three and you have more other other teams, so that's how it always work out. Man, you gotta you gotta if you have the rules for that, you should send it to me and I'll throw it up. For I can our, find it. We should do it. Our Twitter peeps. And yeah, stuff, they, uh, it's one of the, it's it's my it's my favorite way to do the bracket. It's, it's very your, unique. It is. It's, it's it is extremely unique. It's very involved. Yes. Oh, uh, let's see. What else do we got going on here? Did you you had a soldier? Excuse me. You had shoulder surgery. Almost a year ago. And I was been going on and on about my shoulders on this show, as people have heard about it, and it ended up that I had frozen shoulder, which is actually a condition of blood sugar. That's oh, exciting. So, yeah, it sucks. But uh, I was relieved to hear that after hearing what you went through. Oh, it was fun. It was so much fun. What was wrong? I had uh, what finally became uh, totally torn. I think it was like 98% torn rotator cuff. And then I had a ton of uh, bone spurs on the clavicle and the shoulder head itself. And they went in, and I didn't know this beforehand, they can scoop out arthritis. Sounds disgusting. And they told me that I had the arthritis of an 87-year-old man in my shoulder. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for the left shoulder? Oh, yeah, that's probably the same thing. That'll be a real problem later. But you don't have it torn, so you haven't noticed it yet. <laughs> and so we left was, oh, we're going to fix this up. But the other side, oh, 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 oh you're going to make us money again. They kind of have an enthusiasm about that, don't they? <laughs> it is. It's like, ah, I'm going to cut you twice. <laughs> New speedboat. <laughs> yeah. And, and they did, but they gave me a robot chair that I strapped my arm to. And it would like, and you can't see this on the podcast, but like move your arm up and down and rotate and things without you trying it. Cause you can't, if you move your arm on your own, it'll re-tear the, the ligament. But your arm moves like that and it helps the rehab. So it keeps you a little ahead of the curve on the rehab game. And now I'm finally feeling a little bit human. Did they have to take a tendon from somewhere else? Or no, they just reattached. It, it actually tore off of the bone, so they just like stitch it into the bone okay. again. So it's kind of screwed back into the bone, and yep. then they scooped out. Oh, it's just that's a rough mm-hmm. term. Scooped out mm-hmm. arthritis. And I still don't have. I almost have range of motion now. Almost. How long ago was that? I think March 29th will be a year. I believe. So and we're like give or take 15, 20 days away from a year. So what? Can you do now that you couldn't do before the surgery? Sleep without wincing in terrible pain. Okay, so it was uncomfortable to lay on it. And, it's, and while you'd be comfortable, but if you if you fall asleep and move, it was just pins and needles. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I, I can I can exercise again. It's just it's there'd be just certain angles, and I don't mean just sleeping and oh no, poor me. Like if you write with a pencil and you get to the end of the page and shoulder gives out and everything falls, it's just pain. It was just painful all the time. And was it weak? Very weak. I couldn't just. I couldn't do anything with it really. And how? What are we looking at for it to be better? It's good now. I can't throw. You can't throw. But I never really could. But when's it going to be ninety percent? They're saying. I mean, it's close now. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm very close. If it's. It's as. It's. This is as good as my right arm has felt in four years. Because of football. 
or because of oh, it's got to be it's got to be i it's i threw like an offensive lineman with the big shoulder pads so i probably tore it up doing some of that i had countless sh- shoulder separations in college that and you're young you're like, feel, ah, I'll, I'll play through this i feel like you pinpointed it there <laughs> yeah there was there was a lot of them shoulder separations there's they were i never had a big enough shoulder injury to think oh boy this is terrible i might need surgery now but it's probably it, that's probably what weakened it enough to finally tear mm. Well, let's uh, well, let's inspire. Are you ready to inspire? I, if I can, I'll, I'll do. I'll do the best that I can. So, Mister Lacourse, uh, I, mean, I don't want to go into the business you started right away. We'll we'll talk about that. But he is a recruiter. What is a recruiter? Uh, the recruiters can take and mostly what you're going to think of is when you hear people say a headhunter. Okay, and I've had a couple of different versions of this career within recruiting. So we, I'm a third party recruiter. Mm-hmm. So I recruit. You know, a company will have recruiters. They recruit actively for jobs within that company or within that family of companies. I recruit based on the needs of a client company, and then they pay me either on a contractual basis, like a temp, temp to hire mm-hmm. consultant, or they pay me a permanent fee. So there's retained searches or uh, contingent searches. Retained, like if uh, a college is looking for a coach. You usually hear it was a retained search. So they pay a poise, usually a third, a third, and a third. They can be broken up differently, and that's very, those are more towards what type of job it is. But they pay a portion of it up front, and the search starts. Once the interview process starts, the, the, the secondary portion of it is paid, and once that hire is made, the final payment. And there's different guarantees that go into that. I do contingent searching, so it's a permanent, fee, per, permanent search for a need for whatever company it may be. Find the person. If they hire them, they owe me a percentage of their annual salary. If they don't, they owe me nothing. Okay, so let me uh, do a little translation there. Uh, He will find jobs outside of any corporate relationship where you work for that company. You're working with companies. I work with, I have client companies that have, and and I look for candidates that then fit those open jobs. So they will then say, well, hey, we know CJ, we're Mm -hmm. looking for uh, this you know, we're, 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 for argument's sake, let's just say we're looking for a, a, a master welder, project manager, whatever, yeah. and uh, they'll reach out to you and say, hey, are you talking to anybody right now that fits this description? Well, on the current clients I have, I also call into companies and try and look for new clients. But yeah, they'll call up and, and, and if I have someone, we'll, we'll, we'll go over what I have. Oftentimes, I mean, you know, the people who I have that are looking, some of they fit some of the jobs that come in, some of them they don't. And I'll take those backgrounds to other companies to try and get other jobs. But if they call in, mostly what will happen is I will perform a search. So I'll call on people who are actively working or at least have that background, try and find people who are interested in looking and see if those kind of jobs fits and then set up different meetings with the clients and broker those deals. Lots of people that do this type of work aren't doing it with the type of experience and at the level you are. You got in... With a very well-established company mm-hmm. that does a lot of high-end recruiting, tell me about that. I, I worked for Robert Half Incorporated. You hear him on the radio. You always hear Bob from Account Temps. So I worked for Account Temps mm-hmm. on uh, Robert Half, mostly on the contract on the contract side. So temp yep. and temp to hire positions, a, finance and accounting. Yeah. That's a big boy thing. To be they're doing. big. They're 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 a very big company. It's it's uh they do they do a very good job. But it's I mean it's a it's a mammoth organization. It's a you know it's a six plus billion dollar revenue company that so it's as corporate of a corporate job as you, as you can get. But they they trained you a certain brand of witchcraft that they're very good at. They're, they that's one, one thing. Jobs. One thing they're good at is, yeah, they will find people jobs, and they will find companies' candidates fast. 
they're probably there's a lot of people that, that that do things the same way Robert Half does, but they're basically doing the Robert Half model. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking another company and pumping up Robert Half, but they were they've been around the longest, so it's sure. pretty much their well, way. They they taught you a lot. There was they did. There was a lot there to gain from that. Mm-hmm. So having the big corporate experience you had before, you then moved from that because jobs mature and you. Just like many of the people listening, there's ceilings that are there. There's things kind of keeping you from doing more, making more. You decided to leave. I did. Aft, yeah. And you went to a more regionalized, smaller company. Mm-hmm. Why? Very local. Uh, I've always felt more at home working for a, a smaller company. I never needed the, 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 you know, the title. The, the 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 trips to Vegas because you get a spiff or something like that. I never needed that. I wanted to make enough to support my family to save a little bit and, and go on. And that, this this off this opportunity gave me that. It gave you the ability to connect with a lot of the people that you were working with. Yeah. In a in a it felt more. It was Robert Half's a bit of a meat grinder. I mean, you have it's a publicly traded company. You got to make more this week than you did la- this week last year. And you have to go fast and you have to get the details you need to get people to the right jobs and to get the right companies, but just those details because you don't have time a lot of times. And with a smaller company that doesn't have to generate that much revenue, but still does to be profitable, you have more time to really understand what the needs are, not just with the open job. And part of the frustrations I always saw with people I worked with was these recruiters don't listen. They're putting me up for a job. I don't want this job. I interviewed for it. It wasn't anything close to what people told me it was and it doesn't fit me. So I, I take, kind of take pride now in what I do is, is and what I could do a little more with the smaller company was not force people into jobs that didn't fit them. To right. just close a deal. And right. Just close a deal for two years, we'll place them in another job. I never thought that was, I didn't think that was very moralistic. So to my primary question, yeah. why do you have a company? <laughs> I want to know, I know uh, why this exists. There's human resources, right? We, as, yes. a, as a company, we have a human resources department. We may even have a spinoff from that human resources department of people that do just simply recruit. And there are. Okay. And they manage, and, and they do a great job. I've got a lot of human resources people I work with, and if any of you are listening, I love working with all of you. <laughs> that, right. No, they, and they, but they're limited, not because of their skill set, but they're limited in what they can do because of their job. A human resources person for any company, if you think about it, it's just logical. They can't just call another company and say, you, we've got this opening, and this is what you do, and you're really good. Will you come work for us? Because that's poaching. And the other company, there's no there's nothing against it. But if they do that, then all those other companies will hear, and they'll come poach their employees. Like they're already doing. Like they do. Like they do through a third party. But they, but they have an intermediate. They come to people like me. And they also just don't have time. Sometimes it's really a question of they've got, 85 open jobs because they're a huge company or they've got four open jobs and they're a small company because that's about the same amount of time people spend on these things with, with low headcount that have one person doing HR versus a team. They can't just recruit this job eight hours a day. They've got, they've got other, you know, the benefits to get rid to, to take care of. They've got onboarding. They've got, they've got training. They've got, they've got all, all the different things that an HR professional recruiter has to do. I can call on a job for eight, 10 hours a day. Okay. I can do that if I place the job. Now, how, because a lot of the jobs that you're going for are promotions from uh, either just about to have the big boy job or I have the big boy job and I want. Yeah, it's, it's job. Some, something with scope, whether it be instead of running process, running people, managing, mm-hmm. pe- managing a process, they want to manage people and mentor people. They want to have 
it can, can be as simple as I'm, I'm not, I don't feel I'm making enough. I want to make more. Um, I want to work at a bigger company. I want to take a hit and work at a smaller company. There's, there, there's many reasons people le- le- want, want, to, want to move jobs. There Does really your position and many others like it in the business world keep guys that are on the street with their resume looking for jobs? Does it put them at a disadvantage? I don't believe so, um, especially with the industries that I work in. I'm, I'm focused heavily on construction, engineering, and architecture. And those industries, there's a little more volatility to a big construction company losing a bid and having to cut some, you know, a superintendent or a project manager. Those are the two biggest that I do in commercial construction. Mm-hmm. And companies are more apt to hire someone who's out of work for a fee or like accounting and finance. People won't do that, some, some companies. But the openings that I'm going after aren't entry-level or general openings. They're very specific openings. They're openings that, that need to be filled to keep revenue moving in, to keep something going yeah, on. I know. That kind You're of a nice guy. No, but it's there's not. ten guys like you that aren't that are. And there could be those other there's needs. some and there's different there's different levels of, of staffing companies too. And that doesn't mean bad or good. It's just I'm I'm in I'm in more of a what a low volume, high margin. So we won't close as many jobs that we'll do them for a higher fee. Sure. And then there's there's high there's there's there's, there's high volume, low margin when you get into more of the production facilities and things. I couldn't do that. I, just, I don't know how to. It's not that it's bad, it's, I, I I don't have that skill. But do you believe recruiters make it harder for your average person to go out and land a job through human resources? I, my, my thought would be it depends on the type of size of company. We can probably play that. That probably probably can be put on us at times. More often when you get into some of the bigger companies and they're, they're a little more inexpensive for companies to employ now or when they have resume, writer, resume reader systems in where they're looking for all the keywords. And even that hiring manager, that HR manager might not even see all the resumes. It's just the resumes that have enough keywords in enough places at the right part of the resume and then they're reviewing those candidates and what level those, of job is that it's used pretty commonly for all now not really? anything, anything above entry level even even entry level jobs that require certain college degrees you know i'm again i'm in that that that, that uh, you know hardline engineering obviously got to have an engineering degree construction there's a lot of companies they don't care about a degree they care about if you can put a building on the ground but you what makes a recruiter so important is that you have a direct line to that person and can say, take a look at this specific candidate yep. where the facts or we're scan a, we're, we are don't. A, we're a walking, talking billboard for a candidate, yeah. Okay. So it does really, when you look at it, it takes you from being something scanned in to being mm-hmm. a real person with a real representative. And, it does, and, and, more, and more than just the thing that I do in business, and, and especially when businesses are you're selling something or buying something. You're selling a product, you're buying a product. You're selling it to a person, and you're buying it from a person. So you relate that part of business into, into recruiting, and that's what you're trying to make those candidates as, as, as much of a person as possible and explain what they're doing. And then it does get into, you, as a candidate, and I do a lot of coaching up on this, is you got to go in and close a deal now. I can get you the interviews. I can't get you the offers. Right. So is it more important to have the perfect resume or is it more important? How important is the resume? Resume resume is important and you never have to have one resume. I had a colleague from Robert Half where this is one of the best things I had. You're perfect twice in your life when you're born and on your resume. Cater your resume to what you want to get. And it doesn't mean the general job. It means that if you need a specific company, do some research. It's pretty easy to learn or ask a recruiter. Do some research on how to write that resume up for that job for that company. And so a resume is very important. It is. Obviously, the skills on the resume are helpful. Yeah, I mean, you've got, <laughs> and they've got to be accurate, too. Right. Accurate how? 
don't lie. <laughs> it's got to be something you've done. If you say you've made an accomplishment, make it be, you can, you can, you can put some sugar on it and make the, and, embellish, and you can, you can embellish some of the words and things like that, but make sure you've done it. Make sure you can do the technical aspects of what you're saying you can do. Cause you will get found out. Oh yeah. Because they're going to give you that project again. They're probably going to see this thing that you didn't even mention in the interview. Like, well, yeah, if we hire him, we're going to put him on this or her on this. Many times, though, when you get when you get a job, <clears throat> companies like to train you their way. Yes, like they hire you and they kind of train you for the job. Mm-hmm. And I do you to. still get found out because they're kind of training you? Ah, uh, you know, I imagine they will. Okay. So, and it's hard. And, and the things that the things I recruit for, it's pretty hard. You know, I, I built the empire state building. It's, you're not going to have those kind of lines. <laughs> right. You've got your project list and they're going to call sure. X, Y company and say, who is the project manager on this? Because it's a matter of public record and you're not going to be able to lie on the buildings that you built. Can, can, can I ask you a few questions since you have done <clears throat> so many different things for so many different people about some, some commonalities about being an employee that you might mm-hmm. be able to help people with? I think, well, I think to help not just people that are stuck in a job or, or and people out there who are wondering why are we always having to hire is my, 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 my wife, who is my business partner, and I were talking the other day, and people do not leave. They don't leave a, a job. They leave a bad manager okay. is what the tendency is, is, is money's always involved, but there's usually something else that's underlying of why someone wants to leave. And that's my job is to, to ask the clients what isn't working. So I can more understand what they need to see. And when I talk to someone who needs a job, what do you want? What, what, what is missing from your day? Mm-hmm. And hopefully I have a job that relates to that, or at least I can find it or keep their background in mind when I try and find those kind of jobs. I don't like to put people in jobs that are panic moves. If you really have to get out, I'll help you. But I'd prefer it to be the right time. And sometimes those take a little longer. So I tend to, what I tend to do is just meet people that are looking for jobs more than I call companies. Right. So let's just say for argument's sake that I'm trapped in a job where I'm working uh, and, and really doing the job of maybe two or three other people that have lost mm-hmm. their jobs and I'm not being compensated more for it. The people above me uh, are happy to crack the whip and they want me to be happy I just have a job. Yeah. How... And- what should I do? And there are a lot of times they're all advised, then you should be happy because the, the market's down or things like that. Right now we're in an up market and you should at least you know, make yourself aware of what's out there. Call a recruiter, call a colleague, call someone you used to work with. Look out on the job boards. There's other options out there. It's just you, you really want to know what you want. You know, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Don't accept a job when you're really angry about your job. Right. Take your time. Think about it. Is there, is there an approach to move up in my job that I might be missing? Is there a way that I could go to people that I already work for? Do recruiters help when you already work for a job if you want yeah. something bigger? A good recruiter should. They should always help you get the job you want, not the job that the recruiter has that can make them money. But if you really need to get out, yes, and a, recruiter, a good recruiter can help you not only get the new position, I possibly stay at that same company, possibly move to another company. There, there's different things or advise you on interview tactics, not just for jobs that that recruiter gets you, but for interviews you've got on your own, for interviews you have with another recruiter. How um, do I get unstuck? I'm stuck in that job. How do I get out of that job? How do I get from the position of I have these managers, they're kind of hiding 
Like they're doing the work, but I'm doing the work. How do I get out of that situation if I want to stay in my company? If you want to stay in your company, you've got to be pretty aggressive with who you're confronting about that, what position you're in, who you're going to, talking to those managers, making sure you're, 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 you're advocating for yourself. That can put a target on you. Right. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a risk. That, that can put a target on you. I've, I've been through that myself in some, in some corporate jobs. Um, having that backup plan. If you're going to do that. So if I do that, I should have a, a parachute in place. Yeah. And, and, and the way a lot of people look like, I, I have to deal with the question of, oh, this looks job hoppy on resumes and, and things. And it's, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, they got to stay at this one job. And people talk about loyalty to a company doesn't exist. And you look at really the adverse of that is loyalty to employee doesn't exist. You know, when people, not, at least people are stopped asking for, they should work 30 years for one company. Right. Well, those companies gave people pensions. There was a reason. There was a return of the loyalty. Now there's no pensions. You have to do it on your own with some matching, you know, 401k, things like that. But if you're with your company and you're up for a review and they're going to give you a whole 5% raise, which is good. But if you have the chance to move to another company for a 10 to 12 to possibly even 20% raise, well, you should do that. Right. You, you should financially, you, the, the, the correct fiduciary responsibility there is to move. And then if someone else offers you another 20% raise in three years, to me, that's not job hoppy. No, that's... You, you as the company, yeah. you have the ability to keep them. You could have given them a 20% raise. Okay, so now when I'm unemployed, what is the disadvantage of being unemployed and looking for a job? It depends on what you do. There are some things where, and I'm right or wrong, I'm not making the judgment that companies do not want to hire someone who's unemployed for certain positions. They want they want someone who's employed. There's still that that you know that's not a machine making a, a decision. That's a preference that a certain person making a hiring decision has. And again, not right or wrong. I as a recruiter don't think that's smart for companies. Companies that, that go through the same things other companies do. They lose a job. They have to downsize a division. They lose. A revenue stream, they have to cut a team. And those people are still very employable. It's just the happenstance cost cost them their position. Nothing they did. Well, that's also out there. Now you gotta be careful, you gotta vet the people, just like you're vetting someone who's currently working. There's 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 many times where I think companies put too much effort into their recruiting process. Well, and then they're using using me and they'll be recruit will be interviewing people for a month or two or three at a time, and they'll come back and say, We want to make an offer. Well, good, because that person got a job four weeks ago. Well, what happened? You, you, you waited. What about when I'm, let's say I'm, right now I'm really into logistics, which is kind of a fancy way of saying I schedule things for businesses, and I'm way up in the logistics ladder, but I'm, I don't like logistics. I want to do something else in the company. How easy is it to move? It depends on the company. Are they just a logistics company? You're probably pretty, pretty out of luck. I mean, I, I but guess there are some different, yeah, there are through me a different job. Is it easy? Well, to, 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 I've, I have helped people through that. What I have trouble with, with, with doing in a very frank conversations was someone tells me that I'm, I'm a logistics and pick the title, whatever right. it is. And I, and I want to, I want to do something else. And what do you make? Well, I make X amount of dollars. What are you willing to take for your, for your move? Well, I want to make that or more. I can't help you. Okay, so there's a definite drop in money when you change. Would you hire? W- would you hire me, a recruiter, 
to do your shoulder surgery. <laughs> well, that's extreme. I wouldn't. It is, but I, but it's relatable. It's, it is, but it is relatable, it is. and it doesn't. And again, that doesn't mean right or wrong. Because there are things you could move now from logistics to certain parts of supply chain or, or procurement that are at least related to it. But again, it's related. So how how how, how attractive is that to the person? So you got to be careful moves. what you get good at. Is what you're saying. If you don't think you want to do it again, <laughs> that's how you, that's how you go from being a high power six figure executive to a baker, right? Exactly. We talked about yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to be careful what you get good at. Um, what if I want to quit? Is there a, everybody? You know the resignation. I'm the letter. wrong person to ask. <laughs> but you know the because right I had a good job recruiting, and I said I don't want to wait three more years in this job to maybe get the job that I want that may not be there in three years. I want to do this now. And I want to do this on my own, and I don't want to have insurance while I do it, and then I want to tell my wife all of those things. Yeah, you took a brave road. <laughs> brave woman behind me. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that she luckily had again benefits and things. So there's some things that we are lucky with on that. You have a great timing. wife. I do. Your your wife is uh... out of all my out of all my. I tell her this all the time. My favorite wife of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she appreciates. She does. She but does. she's tenacious. She is. And scary. And. She is a big fan, if I can say that right. It's like you, there's no question that the, the nucleus of your family is her team and she's a big fan. So yeah. she is all she in. Is, she is, yeah. That seems like it goes without saying, but it really doesn't. I know a lot of people that are paired off. And we had a lot of, I mean, we had, we had heated conversations about whether this was a good idea or not. And we did, we, 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 and it wasn't, it, I mean, it's a little more humor to it, but uh, it, we, we analyzed quite a bit of it and every move we could make and how it could work, what, what happens if it doesn't work, how it can't work, what, what's the best, I mean, we, what our pricing was, what our, what our philosophy was, our company name, logo, all of these things. Before we made the move, and we made we 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 did the right thing, and it's working so far. Yeah, and we, even helped a lot of it people. Could, it could work for twenty more years, and I will still always refer to it as it's working so far. <laughs> well, you you have a, a a nice chain of of events that have led to you getting to this point because mm-hmm. you've been good at it. That being said, do you know the proper way to terminate yourself at a job that you've never done to, to fire myself? How do I resign? Me? You? How, how do you leave a job and not have everyone oh, pissed? Oh, respectfully. Give notice. Let people have their anger if there is anger. So I say there's two weeks. Uh, so I'm going to go. I'd like, what, I, what I always like is I'd like, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my notice today. Okay. And if they say how much time, I said, well, that's negotiable. Standard is two, is, is two weeks. If there are things that need to be handed off, I can negotiate more. But this is but this is a position that I will be leaving with enough time to hand to, to handle everything that needs to be handled. Okay, so there's there's there, there's the notice I know it's, is a big deal. I know it's easy to say, but you've got to take emotion out of it at some point. But you still have to to you know, same people you go on the way up, you're going to meet on the way down. Do not burn too many bridges. It's going to it's got to feel great to tell that person off. Mm-hmm. Is it really? Four days from now, four weeks from now, four years from now, will that conversation really matter? Just be, be, be as polite as you can. Stand up for yourself. And don't, don't, and, and usually, the, the, usually these things don't go anywhere near what we think they're going to go when they're bad. And no one gets mad and yells. And, and if they do, let them. Mm-hmm. So even when they're shitty, that two weeks I'm working there, you know, because everybody's a little, they're a little butthurt that you're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so there's... I have to, the right thing to do is to tolerate that. 
I, I, I always believe it is. Which you've never taken your own advice. They're going to pay. I have. No, I have. I've always given notice. I've been, I've also, believe me, I've also been fiery and said things that I've, I've regretted and thought that I would feel good about and regretted. Do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, this was fun. This was, this was much nerve wracking as can be. Where do you work again? Uh, MG recruiting source. Oh yeah. My office out of my home. And you do what for who? I recruit for companies in the construction, engineering, and architecture field, among some other things for clients that I've known for a long time. And you have the bad luck of being one of my best friends. So thanks for coming on the show. That's the bad part. Well, I was James Hamilton. And CJ LaCourse. Thanks for listening. Why don't you follow us on Twitter at When Life Attacks or Facebook When Life Attacks Podcast. Or you can look directly at our blog, which is when life attacks podcast.com my name is wayne campbell i live in aurora illinois which is a suburb of chicago excellent i've had plenty of joe jobs nothing i'd call a career let me put it this way i have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets okay i still live with my parents which i admit is both bogus and sad but at least I've got an amazing cable access show. And I still know how to party. But what I'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. <laughs>